do us a quick favor guys hit the follow subscribe button share this with someone who would benefit from it and help us grow as the more we grow the better the episodes we get thanks guys for helping us and let's get into the episode Welcome back to this episode of the Sculpt Podcast. Today we are going through, I think, the second and last chapter of Relentless. And as always, we just want to get straight into it. So what this chapter is, is when you're a cleanup, you don't recognize failure. You know there's more than one way to get what you want. I have a quote that I use and it's a narrative that I have made for myself but also try to reiterate through action and achievement which is if anyone would make it work it would be me and I believe I said yes it's egocentric it's very you know selfish it's a lot of different things but one that narrative is there to serve me because I then believe that in any situation, if it's one in a thousand people who are in a room together and you were to put your money on that person to do X, I'd always believe that that's me. That's me. Put your money on me, I'll I'll get you your money back or whatever, you know? Um, that's what I believe. And now, that doesn't come through just believing. It doesn't just come through believing, okay? There's a lot of different things to where I can stand by why I believe that because of action uh, results and achievements now instantly when i give an example of that and where this narrative can i believe stem from and i didn't originally know that this was a narrative that i was forming for myself until i started to reap the rewards of some of my behaviors but that looks like okay i train more than anyone else therefore if i've got a room and there's one in a thousand people then I can automatically say, well, I'm probably going to be the one who's training the most. Whether it's mental, physical, whatever. I'm doing the most, okay? That was the bare minimum. That was entry level for me. Because that's only effort-based. But, going on further, okay? I go to Germany. I say to my coach before I go, if anyone was going to be able to do it, it would be me. And I stand by that. And guess what happened? When I'm in Germany, I go over with no connections but my LinkedIn, okay? So I don't I don't know any, you know, football coaches. Of course, I knew the ones that I'd previously been over with. But on that same basis, when I went over the first time, I had no connections the first time either. So, sure, when I went over the second time, I did have connections that I had already established. But they weren't helpful. If I was going to make it work, it would be me. And the odds were completely against me. The only odds I had in my favor were my age. Okay? And if you were putting me or a thousand versions of me in a room together at the same level, and that's it, just the same level physically in football, and you're putting them in a room with me, they're not Nick. They don't have the same mindset as me, but they're physically at, a, at the same level. And they're all different people. But they've got the same footballing ability. Okay, think about that. Which one would you bet on to actually go and get a professional contract in that 1,000 people? This is where I would say, I would bet on myself. 
And it's delusional to say, sure, because I also don't know what those other people are like. But one, I'm better off for believing that it's me. And two, I also made that work. I made that situation work. Because I can give you examples of people who went over, tried to do the same thing as me, and returned back four months later. It's common. It's common for people to do that. Now, I didn't just get what I set out to do. I overachieved. I didn't think that I would sign for a professional club. I didn't think that I'd sign with the first team of a professional club. I kind of skipped a step. And that, to me, reinstated my narrative to, to a new height. Now, you can say, oh, you just got lucky. You could say, right, right place, right time, whatever it is. You could say, oh, it's because of his LinkedIn and he just got lucky through LinkedIn. And what I would say to that is, yeah, I was very lucky. I was in the right place at the right time. I was connected through LinkedIn with the right people. But guess what? I did all that. I created my own luck. No one else did that but me. No one did that for me. No one helped me. That was all me. Therefore, that still feeds my narrative. It's not that I got lucky. I created that luck. I, I realized how could I give myself <clears throat> the best chance of succeeding here? And I'm looking at all these stones. Which one do I leave unturned, you know? Or I, I've got to leave every stone unturned. And so I've created this, this, this system for me to go in somewhere and give myself the best chance of succeeding. And the whole Germany trip for me was a testimony to that. Bear in mind, I went twice. First time, I would say was reasonably unsuccessful. I was 15. I ended up signing with like an amateur team who have like an international um, campus center for international students. It was like a paid academy. It wasn't anything crazy. I also, I believe it was my first or second year of playing football. Serious, uh, second, I think, of playing football seriously. I truly had no idea what I was doing. I had LinkedIn. I know that I'd spoke with people. I'd connected with people. I had good trials, but that was because um, I was connected with people on LinkedIn that my family in Germany knew. Therefore, they were able to say, oh, yeah, okay, just give them a trial, whatnot. That's how it worked. I created my luck. And you may think, no, 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 you didn't create your luck. You were just lucky. And I would continue to disagree with that because truly, I did create my luck there. I truly created my luck giving myself the best opportunity and the best position to thrive in that. Now, you could also argue there's people who would be in your situation and do much better. Sure, but they're probably better footballers than me. Now, of course, I want to be better footballers than them. I'm trying to become better footballers than them, but maybe I'm not. Therefore, if you're comparing me against the other thousand people at my similar level, I will be the one to better myself. But that's a very... Uh, it's a very nuanced kind of perspective because it, it, it involves a deep understanding of you, people around you, the action, also the delusion that you have. Because for me to say that before I actually made it work in Germany was actually a little bit delusional because I hadn't had. So like when I said to my coach before I left to go to Germany and I said, if anyone was going to make it work, it'd be me. I think the reason why I said that was because I knew that I was training more than anyone else. I'd done, I'd, I'd, I'd done it before in Germany. And I had the LinkedIn. No one's got a better LinkedIn than me that I know of for football and doing what I do. No one. Therefore, statistically, just off that basis, outside of an agent and having good representation, 
I do better myself here. But let's continue to go on because I didn't even read the first page. But the whole the whole uh, episode will be about how, like for me, whenever I got a setback, I, I went on I think fourteen to twenty trials. I, I don't actually remember the exact number. I I just believe that it was like. Maybe it was 14 good trials and then 20 that I didn't, like, the six others that I disregarded or something. I, don't, I honestly can't remember. There was just so many that I went on. It was ridiculous. Now, to my point, I never got annoyed at one trial. Never. And there were clubs that I, I think I had three options in total. And that was it. Every other team said either they're full, which is a common one, or that I wasn't good enough. So teams like Eintracht Frankfurt, they were full and I wasn't good enough for their under 19 team. Sorry, for the second team. They were looking for the second team. I was still eligible for under 19 because the Eintracht Frankfurt are going to play kids up. So that's why I wasn't selected for Eintracht Frankfurt. Uh, when you've got other professional teams, Eintracht Frankfurt was the top. But going on that, every other team that was not professional, I could have played with. But I don't want to go to that level particularly I didn't want to also bet on that because if I locked myself in for six months then I'm I mean if I went over to Germany and just signed for a semi-professional team then six months later I wouldn't have signed with a professional team so um that's so irrelevant but many different things of how I didn't recognize those setbacks as failures because I knew that there's more than one way to get where I want and if anyone's going to make that work that again would be me now a cleaner is done when he says he's done, not when you say he's done. In fact, you saying it usually ensures the opposite. I know that. Like, with my parents, they always, like, they can't win on some points. I'll, they'll say something, and just for the sake of disagreeing, I'll just try and do the opposite, just to prove that I'm, I'm like, crazy. And I don't think that's a very bad thing. I think... Yeah. Uh, it's, it's just being disagreeable that then feeds your narrative and a lot of it's subconscious like a lot of the actions that we take every single day are very subconscious right you don't truly understand every action that you take why you've done it and everything like that it's just pattern so a lot of these things just naturally I will just be disagreeable and do the exact opposite just for the sake of doing the exact opposite um alright Seeing that you keep coming back and working at until you succeed, how can that be a failure? Most people think of a failure as a cleaner who sees an opportunity to manage and control the situation, pulling it around to his advantage, doing something everyone else says is impossible. If there's a 2% chance that something will work and a 90% ch 90%, 98% chance, then it won't. He'll take the 98% risk just to show he took the challenge and did what everyone else said couldn't be done. It may take years and all kinds of work no one else will ever see, but eventually a cleaner is going to own that situation and make it work to his advantage. He has to do it. Hey, he has to. It's the only way he knows. This didn't work, so let's do that. If that doesn't work, we can do this. How many ways can you prepare? How many different pathways can you create so you don't eventually run into a ditch? How many options do you have for getting out? Now, I wrote, that is John Johnson's philosophy, which is my whole, uh, you could say, 
a lot of the mentor skills that I have are wrapped from the work that I did with John. And speaking of him, we have an episode coming out with him in the next few weeks, which is also a really cool one. So I'm keen for that. But the process is what that is, is you're doing all the work. You're, you're killing the, the baby before it's a monster. I think I've said that many a time, and I think I've butchered that sentence many times as well. But you're killing the baby before it's a monster. What that means is being proactive, right? If I am able to... Um, let's give you an iPhone, the size of my iPhone here, and the size of my Gatorade bottle here. Now, this is probably a well-grown adult, and this is an, an old man, maybe. Well-grown child, maybe, in size. Um, so let's go this way, maybe. You're killing the baby here when you don't even really know there's a problem. You might not recognize that there's a problem at this level, but at this level, you, you really do recognize there's a problem, and this problem is big. So you're constantly doing work to trim that, to constantly trim it to where it's not noticeable, it's not affecting you. So you're constantly trimming it, constantly, constantly trimming, you never wanted to get it to this point. And you don't know when it ever even got close to this point because you're constantly trimming. There'd be some days or, you know, times where you're trimming for just the sake of trimming. You don't know that there's nothing there to trim. But sometimes it grows. Okay, just trim it down. It's back. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. Trim it down. Oh, it's back up. Didn't even know that. But I kept on trimming. Guess what? It's back down. It will never get to this point. It will never get to this point. And that's the proactive mental work and processes that I do on my iPad. Now, back to the book. Okay, how can you fail at something that's never been done when there's no previous measure of success? I read something shouldn't compare success as a marker Okay, I'm not too sure what I wrote, but it, it, it kind of looks like I'm saying that there's no measurement of success. Maybe kind of leaning into what even is success. Um, of course, it's going to be individual. That's a very long-winded topic that I probably don't have an, enough established opinion on. Definitely something I could uh, explore a little bit more. What's the definition of success? It's always going to be individual, but I don't have clear understanding of what that means truly yet. Um, okay. Let's make this simple. Failure is what happens when you decide you failed. Yeah, uh, I believe Sebastian Abanzini mentioned that. We did many good episodes with him, two episodes with Sebastian, and, and he said a lot of the words of wisdom, and I think that that was one of them. Okay, success and failure are 100% mental. One person's idea of success might seem like a complete failure to someone else. You must establish your own vision of what it means to be unstoppable. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's very that's very fair to say. Let's say you're someone who was a what's what's an example? Okay, you could be you're young for, you know, twelve years of your life, let's say you're fourteen no. Let's say you're sixteen years old. For twelve years of your life, you've wanted to become a sprinter. And for these twelve years, you've wanted to become a sprinter that whole time. You've been training Ever since you were four years old to become a sprinter, you've always been the fastest kid. 12 years down the line, you start to realize maybe there are a few things that went wrong with your training that you were unaware of, and it maybe didn't allow you to get to that point to become the fastest person in the world or whatever you, whatever you set out to achieve. 
what do you do then? Do you continue to chase this goal that is maybe not worth the sacrifice to achieve that goal or get close enough to it? Or do you start and do something else that is maybe a similar skill set or something that you've learned that you think is very transferable? Now, failure would be stopping that and completely getting rid of the goal and doing something completely irrelevant and disregarding everything that you've done previously, forgetting about it. Now, I don't think anyone would really do that because you're always going to take transferable, transferable skills into the next. But framing it that that was, a, that that was a failure is the wrong thing to do, full stop. Framing that, that that was a failure, don't do that. What you can do in this situation is, okay, the last 12 years of my life, I learned so much. And now it's projecting me to go in a different area, okay? I did a few things wrong. I don't know exactly what they are because if I did... If I knew they were right, then I'd be in a better place. But what do I do now? Well, I still want to be successful. Okay, let's get some of these transferable skills that I learned from here, the last 12 years of my life, and put it into a new life. Okay, maybe you become the best bobslayer in the world because you're really fast at sprinting. Okay, you do really well at bobsleigh. Crazy. Okay, now you're successful in bobsleigh. Is that successful? Yeah, you, you turned a failure, a perceived failure into a success. Let's say you then become a businessman because you learn all these different things about how the business of athletics works. Whatever it is, if you don't see a destination or a failure, I guess if you see a failure as a full stop, that's that's a fail. That's the definition of a failure. Never see anything as a full stop because everything and anything is transferable. And when you don't see things as a failure, you're, you, you position yourself in a much better position. So if you believe everything happens for a reason, as I do, then you start to understand how nothing is a failure. It's just projecting you to be in the right place, okay? When you look back at your life, at whenever you're on your deathbed, right? It's a little bit gloomy. When you look back at your life and you think, I regret doing this, I regret doing that, I regret doing that. You're looking back at your failures and only seeing them for failures and full stops. I believe that the better thing to do here would be to frame it as, wow, okay, everything that I did, good, bad, and ugly, I made the best of it. Now, sure, there were times where I was doing the wrong thing that I didn't know. I didn't know I was ignorant. I didn't know that it was the wrong thing, but it put me into the position to where I am now. Now, you may look back at your life and think, okay, well, that correlated to this, this went to that, thank goodness for that, because I wouldn't have done this. And you look back at it and you, and you start to frame it in a way. And, you're, and you've realized how your framing actually helped propel you to the next level because you didn't view things as a failure. Everything was a success because that's, that's where you are now. If it wasn't for all these, you know, spikes, dips and, and hurdles, you wouldn't be where you are now. Now, of course, you're on your deathbed, but... Hopefully you're in a good place and you're looking back at your life and thinking, wow, what a great life. Now, I don't know what that's like. Um, I haven't spoken to anyone who's had that situation where they're on their deathbed and they tell me how they were thinking because normally after that, you died. Um, crazy, I know. But it's a very interesting thing to think about how not recognizing failure propels you forwards. Okay. What happened with the building was a setback. But dealing with setbacks is how you achieve success. You learn and you adapt when everyone else is talking about how you failed, you show up like a professional. 
remap your course and get back to work. That's the progression of good, great, unstoppable. No one starts at unstoppable. You F up, you figure it out, you trust yourself. Context. I believe that this is when Tim Grover started his attack athletics facility. It didn't go to plan, but then it leveraged all these different other things for Tim to then progress in other areas. Tim didn't view that as a failure. Other people did. You could argue it was a failure, but he made the best out of it. Okay? Very, very valid. Tim said at the end there that no one started unstoppable. I do think that I have made this example before. My understanding of the closer, cleaner, and sorry, the cooler, cooler, closer, and cleaner pyramid before. I do think that no one starts as a cleaner. I think that you have to fail enough as a cooler to then get to a closer. You start to have tendencies of being a cleaner. Then you fail enough here at the closer level. And that closer level is probably the, the, the longest level that you spend at. I think that the, the cooler level, it's pretty obvious where you're messing up. It just takes a little bit of responsibility to become that cooler. You start failing. You start adapting more of the, cooler, uh, the cleaner tendencies and start to get rid of most of your cooler tendencies. You start to then refine, 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 refine. You end up being a cleaner. And I've said this before. I don't see myself as a cleaner because I know where I can get better. I'm working on these areas and there are areas of which I don't even know. Okay, I don't think that a cleaner will ever say that they're truly at the top of being a cleaner. Because that's, that's not what makes a cleaner. So getting there is a journey. You don't just start as a cleaner. It takes a lot of failure, a lot of refinement. Okay. It's never over. The cooler admits defeat. The closer works harder, and the cleaner strategizes for a different outcome. Admitting defeat has no place in the discussion. You tried your best, or you did, or... You tried your best, or did you do your best? Huge difference. Well, I tried. Okay, now tell me what you did. Do or don't do. I've written a lot of notes here. I, I don't like to read all of my notes, but... For a cleaner to show that he is a cleaner... He has to have adversities. What makes him a cleanup is the end result. The result of overcoming and coming out on top. Quite an old note of mine, actually. Alright. Is there anything else you could possibly do to turn things in your favor? What I was talking about before. Okay. Do you still feel the anger inside you? Driving you to take action and turning things around. A closer will keep going until he's forced to stop. Remember, he's called a closer because he's there at the end. Once the end arrives, he knows it. He feels it. It's over. A cleaner can't ever accept that it's over. But he does recognize when it's time to change direction. One of the hardest things to do is to change course once you set your goals. You made the decision. You worked for it. You earned the payoff. For whatever reason, it's not going the way you planned. It's not weak to recognize when it's time to shift directions. I would say that that's a, that's a massive struggle area of mine. And I can give you a very, very good example of that. Where Sinker was probably a year ago. I had, a, had quite a few people tell me that I needed to like create an Instagram page and, and, and document my journey, I think. 
I spoke to Charlie about it. I spoke to Val about it. I spoke to a few friends from Australia and they all said, oh, you should probably start doing it. And I never wanted to do that. I think that it's a, quite a low ROI thing for myself, like personally, just because the only benefit is brand deals. I don't need brand deals. I don't really need brand deals. And sure, it's money, but I don't really need that much money. And the amount of time and effort I put into it probably doesn't correlate to a high ROI for me. Okay. I think that the highest ROI for me is LinkedIn. And I didn't know that at the time, but I've leaned into it much more now. That's where I think the highest ROI is because sure, I get brand deals. Not, not that much, but I get them. I also get football contacts and a lot of them. I also then propel myself forwards in any other uh, avenue because of my contacts, business, whatever. I would say that I'm much more professional on LinkedIn rather than Instagram or any other social medias. The perception is much better. It actually is a much higher ROI for me on LinkedIn than it is on Instagram. And my point being, I started that Instagram page and I was like, okay, I'm going to do it for bare minimum six months because most likely I won't get any traction in the first few months. So I'm like, okay, I really didn't want to do this either. I did it for six months, nothing much. And you could argue, I probably could have done some more, but I still trying to keep my LinkedIn up at the time. Therefore, for me, I was like, I, I don't really want to do it. I was doing it for one, other people who, who were telling me to do it. And on the, on the odd chance that I could make it work, then it was there, okay? But I, I never really expected it to work. I also did it at the time of my job. I was trying to figure out ways that I could use my own social media to help the company's social media. So I ended up framing it more of an experiment because everyone had told me to do it. And I was like, okay, the only, only reason why I truly did it was I can use it in a way that also helps me with my job. Then six months after, I'm like, okay, it's not worth it for me. Even if I continue to spend time and I get no return on my investment, I don't even think that it's worth it for me. Now, I don't like quitting, but I made sure that that attention that I put into my Instagram, I then just doubled down in the podcast. And now growing the podcast in that same manner to me is much more efficient with my return on my investment. The podcast for me is a great entry point to speak with people at a higher caliber than me, to network with many people who I haven't met before, to get that potential ROI much further down the line, three years, four years, five years down the line, when I've actually got listeners who, can just, who consistently listen, do we interact with the podcast? I mean, right now, for a year, I've been making the podcast to no one, pretty much. If you look at the views of the podcast, I'm very aware, very aware that I've got no one listening. But guess what? I don't even look at the stats most times because I, I don't care. It, that's, I know that the next few years for me, I will get no one listening. I will get no one listening. Therefore, I don't care. I, all I need to do is just start, stay consistent, and never give up. That's what I can do with the podcast. Now, when I say never give up, okay, there may be a time where, okay, I'm five years down and I've got no listeners on the podcast. Okay, I don't give up, but maybe I do something else. Whatever happened in that five years, I still gained valuable stuff. Like, for example, 
this past year of just doing all my podcasts, I've created great connections. I've become much more articulate. I have learned many more things just because I've started to document a lot more things and document a lot of my thoughts and patterns of habits, etc. Even if five years down the track, I think, okay, the ROI really isn't there for me at the moment. I should probably put that energy into another place. I got no problem with that because everything that I've learned up to that point then made me realize, okay, I'm going to shift it now or whatever that situation is. I'm in a better position because of that. I don't have a problem with that. You may perceive my podcast as a failure. I've got no issue with that because on paper, it kind of is. But guess what? Four, five years down the track, I hope that it's not. And even if it is, I've still learned much more than I have if I didn't do it. And to me, that's a good return on my investment. Yeah. Let's go through a few pages because we are pretty behind and there's like six pages left. Okay. All right. Tim Rose then talking about how he uh, wasn't NBA caliber and he wasn't ready to admit it. When I suffered that first injury, all I wanted to do was play basketball. I'm not the most religious person, but to me, the ACL torn was a message saying, listen, you're spending too much time trying to work on this game. It's not going to happen, so let's just bust up your knee so you can focus on what you're supposed to do with your life and get you to the right path faster. Now, to me, Tim Rover not playing basketball is a little bit counter to his narrative because I believe... Now, this is where I also may have fault here. That for him to have that message, he should have done it. Now, where Tim Grover has that validity is that he did it with the best. He did it with Michael Jordan. Say if Tim Grover never um, worked with Michael Jordan, you could argue, sure, he would have worked with other people at the same level because he was that type of person to make it work. But also at that age, Tim left Stones Untended. In fact, the one person he didn't send the, the, the letter to was Michael Jordan. That was the one person who ended up working with him. So Tim left Stones Unturned. Could he have done it better? Yes. But it got him to the place now. So is that a bad thing? No. But I believe that it's a little bit counter to his narrative if he is betting on the fact that he's done it. He hasn't done it. He quit. But it isn't a failure. It's a success because he turned it into something better. So, how do you get to that point? It's tough. It's tough. Honestly, I think anyone can get to that point. I think Ronaldo is probably being at that point where he's like, is it worth me continuing to, to do what I'm doing? I think everyone will have to get to that point. And they probably have gone through it. Maybe some have, you know, doing it for a little bit longer. I think some may have gone straight through it. Uh, I believe Charlie, he his, in a few episodes that we did when we first started, he said, if there was, if someone put a contract in front of me saying, I, Charlie Miller, am about to quit football, he said, there's probably been times where he, he would have picked up the pen, looked at the contract and gone, ah, and put the pen back down. But he, he thought about it. He's been close. Um, how do you get to that point? I struggle with that. I definitely struggle with that. Now, Okay, find a way to turn it into a positive, yeah. Don't try, do. Yeah, it's good. Just don't expect everyone else to understand or agree with your new plan. Yeah, that's definitely very true. It's a tough one. It's a very tough one. Now, an architect constructs a building. 
I construct a body from the inside out. That's a good line. Uh, architect, I use that word a lot. Sculpted app, it's going to be in there. I really like the word architect. Uh, it's, I would say, the highest form of an individual. That's kind of a bad way of saying it, but I'd say that you want to strive to be an architect. Someone who, you know, is carving their own path, doing things their own way, controlling everything to the best of their ability. Okay. To the best of their ability because you can't control everything like i discussed in one of the previous episodes but giving up control sometimes in in areas okay this is without context it, it this sounds a little bit counter to what i normally say but context is i i'm religious okay i'm very religious uh, i'm a christian and i believe that god's got a plan for me therefore when things are out of my control or out of my direct influence to give up that control and say, you know what, God, I trust you. That's still controlling the situation because instead of worrying over things that I can't directly control or influence, I've given up the control for someone else who I know. And, and also, I always give up control. We've got free will, but I always want to do the best with it. But that's a, that's a tricky thing to, to get your head around, I think. Now, hmm, for seven months, he worked... On that rehab, five days a week, twice a day at the Attack Athletics facility in Chicago, and also back at school in Valparaiso. And I wrote, <laughs> I, I I was like, oh, that's bare minimum, which I do think that is pretty bare minimum. I mean, it's fine. I mean, if it's under Tim Grover's guy that said, I think it's fine. But all right, a lot of guys would quit. He kept going. It's all a choice. I tell my athletes everything up front and let them decide whether to keep fighting or to give up. That's a tough one. Now, uh, I, the the biggest thing that I do struggle with is with relentless is Tim never gives answers. We want answers. We want a step to step guide uh, on how to get somewhere. Tim actually made a, a video about this one time. I remember, and the reason why he doesn't do it, I can't even remember. But talks about how. There is no step-to-step guide. Maybe it's because everyone's individual. That's That would make sense to me. Um, Tim doesn't know your situation directly. Therefore, he can't give a step-to-step guide on how to do something. But it's not easy when there's no guide. A lot of it's up to interpretation. And it's interesting that Tim says, it's all a choice. I tell my athletes everything up front and let them decide whether to keep fighting or to give up. Of course, it will help them understand that he will give a bit of influence, but he won't have the final say. He will let his athletes have the final say. You can't be relentless unless you're willing to take chances. Safe makes you good. Chances make you great. Okay. Last page. It clearly knows when to walk away and which direction to walk. Never running. Always walking. He leaves smoothly and on his own terms. He can lose a battle because he's still planning to win the war. Lose a game, but win the lead, but win the season. Lose a season, but come back and win the next three. Lose a job, start a new business. No one else is getting the last word on whether he succeeded. That's powerful. And I think that's a perfect way to finish. That, yeah. I like that he can lose the battle because he's planning to win the war. I like that. Because it also leans into the short-term sacrifice for the greater good and the greater achievement. That's, that's also what that can lean into. Very good chapter. I think it's a very, very important chapter as well. 
And the next chapter that we've got is when you're a cleaner, you don't celebrate your achievements because you always want more, which is the last chapter of Relentless. Now, I do want to go through winning for the next book. But I gave that book to someone and they lost it. So that's a little bit sad because I had all my notes in it. Might have to get a new book of winning because I do want to go through it as well. Again, I have not gone through it, guys. Obviously gone through it. I literally got it on pre-order. Like, I was there for it. I'll eat. But yeah, guys, I hope you enjoyed that one. And I will catch you on the next episode.